0: Heritage Park Baptist Church. We make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. If you have a Bible this morning, I'm going to invite you to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And um, we're going to kind of press pause on our journey through the Gospel of John. We'll pick that up here in just a few weeks. But I wanted to take. these next set of weeks, and just talk about some of the things that make us, us. And to do so, let me jump in this way with our kids who are in the room, so excited that you're here. Let's start this way. I'm going to ask you a question, you think about it for just a second, then I'm going to let you vote. Who do you look and or act more like, your mom or your dad? Okay, that's the question. Who do you look more like, in fact, let's let's break it into two questions. Who do you look more like, and who do you act more like? Is that fair? You ready, kids? You got it in your mind. You got it in your mind, okay. How many of you kids look more like your mom? Real high. Okay, how many of you kids look more like your dad? Real high. How many of you kids are more terrified than anything to vote because you're not real sure? Okay, how many of you kids act more like your mom? Act act more like your mom, come on, raise real high. Come on, come on. No, no, teenagers can vote. You go, oh, oh, you're like, no, I ain't raising my hand ever again. No, 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 no. How, how many act more like their dad? Yes, yes, raise real high. Oh, <laughs> a little help back there from mom and dad. You're volunteering. Dad, thank you so much. I appreciate that. The reason why, maybe you uh, kiddos have not gotten to this point in science yet, but the reason why some of this happens is because uh, you you are genetically uh, wired from them. Like, that, like There are things that they... Um, uh, 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 the, the DNA that is inside of you shares part with, with them, and so you're kind of you kind of have these proclivities. And furthermore, and probably just as importantly, you are in their home, and so you pick up their habits. Mom's and dad, that's super annoying sometimes, isn't it? Because they provide a mirror for us, and we're like, "Dang it." This is where we are, though. We're talking about the environment um, of the church family, and we're talking about the the DNA, if you will, um, of our church family. And I will say this. uh, These things that we're going to talk about over the next couple weeks, these are true about every local congregation uh, who claims the name of Jesus and and seeks to follow him faithfully. We prayed for Bay Area last week. I'm pointing this way because they're to the south of us. We prayed for Bay Area last week, they share the same DNA. It just works itself out in our particular church family differently than some of the others. we got good friends around here and good ministry partners. God is doing good work in our area. I'm so grateful for all of that. Um, In this particular series, we're just going to do a little bit of um, talking and studying around what makes us, us, uniquely. Okay, so... Uh, The the first one is gospel um, transformation. That's the first big thread of DNA that we want to talk about. And I want you to open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible and you want one to put in your lap, you can grab one from the sound booth back there. If you are a user of the Bible app, feel free to open up the app and find our live event right now. Here we go, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer, for... If, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is passed away the new has come. All of this is from God. All of it. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world. To himself, not counting their trespasses against him and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, uh, making his appeal through us, we implore you, beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousest. Of God, And here's what I want to do. I want to talk about the word gospel, and I want to talk about the word transformation. And uh, I think the easiest way to do that is to preach this passage backwards. Everybody good with that? Good, because if not, my notes are really going to be messed up. But here we go. Gospel, verse 21. Uh, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. I'll reference this more in just a moment. Martin Luther called this uh, the gospel in one verse or the gospel of the great exchange. Um, there are these spots in, in Paul's writings, all the books that end in A.N.S., you know, Romans and Corinthians, all, all these letter books. There are spots in Paul's writings where he takes a statement or a couple of statements, a verse or two, and he summarizes in kind of a pithy and punchy way the gospel. Nowhere is it more profoundly summarized than right here in Second Corinthians 5.21. So let's talk about what sits underneath that, the gospel. The first part is perfection. He says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus Christ, and he came to the earth um, from heaven, born of a virgin, um, stepped into humanity and human existence. And all along the way, from day zero uh, until the day um, he died on the cross for our sins, he did not sin. He did not disobey. He did not step out of uh, uh, the will of God. He did not step off of the path of God. This is a reality uh, for him. The one who knew no sin. He, He did this. He accomplished this. His life and obedience, then, could count for our obedience. You and I, we needed to present obedience to God. The problem is we presented something less than obedience to God, yes? The good news is the gospel, the gospel is that Jesus Christ has obeyed in our place, and his obedience can count for our obedience. He knew no sin. This is, it's an incredible, incredible thing. Second part is substitution. For our sake, he made him to be sin. He made him, he became sin for us and for our sake. The blow was going to fall. The hammer um, of the righteous and and holy judgment of God was going to fall on sin. And it was going to fall on us because of our sin. And Jesus stepped in to take that blow for us. He was willing to put himself, substitute himself in our place. So that you and I um, did not have to experience the wrath and judgment of God which we deserve. Substitute. And last part, where does that leave us? It leaves us with transformation. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Please don't miss that. Please don't miss that. We might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, the perfect one, lived a perfect life and stepped into our world as a substitute to offer himself sacrificially for you and for me. That you and I might become the righteousness of God. This is the reason why Martin Luther called this the great exchange. Because he took, on the cross, God took all, my sin, your sin, our sin, collective sin, all of the weight of that, and he put it onto Jesus. And he crushed it. But the right standing and righteousness before God that was Christ's, he gave to us. I got what I did not deserve. And Jesus got what he did not deserve. This is the great. This is the great exchange. So when he says we might become the righteousness of God, what's he saying? He says both in position, now I am rightly standing before God. I am in right relationship with God. When God looks down and sees me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus like a robe, if you will, from Isaiah chapter 61, like a robe covering me. He sees this. But not just in position, also in practice, when the true inner goodness of God takes over my life and, and I am now standing in right relationship with God, this begins to work itself out as God goes to work in me. When we become followers of Jesus and He is He forgives our sin, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of us. And when we do so, that Spirit, God's Spirit, as He begins to work in us, well, the Bible says, just, I've been thinking about John a lot lately, in John chapter 7, talks about how there, there becomes a river welling up within us a river of living water welling up welling up within us if there's a river in us that's a difference maker yeah Like if there's a river somewhere on your property, in your street, whatever, like that will change some things. Indeed, it does not just in position are we made right with God, but this begins to work itself out in our practice. What does that mean? It means that um, this is all, every bit of it, every bit of it is grace from the very start to the very end. It is God's favor upon us, not his obligation to us. Please hear me say that. This... Transfer of my sin to Christ and his righteousness to me. Um, it, is, it is favor on your life. It is not obligation on God's part. It is a blessing uh, from God. It is not a performance that you uh, uh, somehow do. And it is, it, is, um, it is a gift to you and to me. It is not earned. All of its grace from start to finish. This is the gospel. But Be- because God treated Christ like He did excuse me <laughs> on the cross, when God treated Christ like He did all that we have done, He can now treat us like we did all that Christ has done. This is the great exchange. We, you and I, because of Jesus, are the righteousness of God. Um, not with i mean like it's beyond a level of curiosity here and, and rightly so again we're fairly curious bunch with some i'd like to know how this thing works uh engineer types or at least in your brain you've got these in the room um, so how how did this happen like it, that's a nice summary the whole exchange thing's pretty fantastic really like that but how how did this go down he uses a really important word starting in verse 18 all this is from god just note this five times um, four times in these two verses and a fifth time in verse 20 all this is from God so it's all grace from start to finish amen and amen yes you cannot earn it um, or merit it all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation what's the, what's the important repeated word in that? reconcile Reconciliation. This is an opening, if you will, of the relationship. God looked down from heaven. He looked on your life and mine. He looked on all of humanity. He he knew that there was an obstacle that stood in the way uh, between us, even though he created us for himself and created us for relationship with him. It was not, could not happen because of this obstacle called, called sin. And so he took it upon himself to remove that obstacle and open, if you will, his heart toward us. And in his incredible, unbelievable, astounding mercy that that just might melt us so that we open our hearts towards Him. It is the opening of a relationship. This is what we're talking about. Um, God removes the blockage and moves toward us, opening Himself so that we might open ourselves up to Him so that we might become friends with God instead of enemies. So that we might become sons and daughters of God instead of Orphans outside, if you will, of his family and his uh, formative practices as well as his DNA, so to speak. How did God do it? Well, he reconciled us. Well, again, that seems a little cheap. Like if God just goes like, ah, eh, sin, okay, phew, off it goes. Oh, big, big rock in the middle of the street, we'll just throw it out. No, 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 no. that's not how it worked. Because uh, the obstacle that was between us was relational. It was sin. It was, uh, it was not an object to be moved. It was an obstacle that, that disconnected us from one another. And so how do you wrestle with or reckon, excuse me, reckon with the sin that separates you from someone? You have to uh, take it on yourself to forgive. And that's what forgiveness is. It is the cancellation of a debt. Your sin and my sin. Let's, let's point to it here. This is what he said in verse 19. Reconciling the word to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Your sin and my sin piled up this massive amount of debt to God. The infinitely glorious God we have sinned against. And the the, the debt was so high and so... Um, uh, uh, crushing, that we never, ever, ever would have dug ourselves out, ever. And so God canceled it. How? It had to be paid for. How did he pay for it? He took all of that debt, and he set it on Jesus. He he, He was willing to endure that for you and for me. He was willing to take on all of the hellish parts of that, all of the darkness of that, all the terrible nature of that. And He is willing to carry that for us and let it crush Him so that it would not ultimately crush us. Forgiveness is the canceling. Of a debt. When he became sin, he bore it for us so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. When we talk about how God made this stuff happen, it is reconciliation through forgiveness. If God didn't forgive, then what he's saying in that moment is that Jesus' sacrifice was not sufficient for you. Hey, Jesus... Jesus speaks to the Father, Father, I, I've got this one here coming to ask for forgiveness, and uh, I, I want that to happen. Father's like, Look, man, too many times. Sorry. He's going to have to deal with this one on his own. If that's the case, the Father would receive double payment for your sin. The payment that Jesus made and whatever payment he was going to extract from you, that's not how this works. That's not how this works. Jesus, one time, for all time, paid for sin. Not just some of your sin, not just the popular sin, not just the easy stuff, all the stuff, all the dark stuff, all the stuff you don't ever want anybody to know about, every thought that you've ever had, all those attitudes that you had towards the people in your office, on the freeway, or on the ball field, wherever it may be, whatever you're carrying around inside of you, all the actions that bubbled up out of this kind of stuff, Jesus, one time, for all time, paid for that sin and then sat down at the right hand of God. He became sin for us. And in doing so, he canceled that debt. He is reconciling us through forgiveness. It's why John, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if you've been around church at all, you, you, you may have learned this verse very, very early on um, in your relationship uh, with Christ. This verse, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness he is faithful and he is just if he's not faithful you come to god and you say hey listen here i am i'm offering this to you because i know that it was wrong and i know that i messed up i sinned against you and if god looks at you it's like eh, i don't know let's flip a coin maybe you'll get forgiveness maybe not 50 50 chance If his faithfulness isn't great toward you in that moment, then what that communicates is the sacrifice of Jesus was insufficient to cover that particular sin in that particular moment. God's not having any of that. He is faithful to forgive you of your sin. Not because you're such a great confessor, but because God is so incredibly faithful and the payment of Jesus was so satisfying to the debt that we have. He is faithful. And he's just. What do you mean by that? Again, he's not getting two payments for the same sin. Jesus has paid that for us. And so it is completely wiped out. It's why... Paul in Romans chapter 8 would say this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not like a little bit of condemnation. Or I'm just under this set of condemnation for this moment right here. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because God has paid that debt. It is finished. It's finished. It's reconciliation through forgiveness. You want to know about the gospel? The thing that makes us tick. That... I mean takes over us this is that this is what we're talking about here um, just to bring it down for us here I'll just uh, um, well for those of you who are married in the room maybe you've had this moment where you in your rightness were just standing here being right and your spouse and their wrongness was just standing right over there being wrong And it doesn't really matter what the particular conflict was. Big, little, do the plates go this way, that way? Do you fold the socks? Do you put them up immediately? How does this work? It doesn't really matter what the issue is. You're just here in your rightness, just occupying space rightly. And they're over there in all of their wrongness just being wrong. Don't amen. You may get elbowed, is all I'm saying. And there comes a moment when you... Because you are right, and you know that you're right, you move toward your spouse. And because you're amazingly right, and they're just sitting there in their wrongness, maybe your mercy in that moment melts some of the frost off of that, and there can be reconciliation. Never has God been more right. And never have you been more wrong. And in his mercy, he opened himself up to you, moved toward you. We're going to celebrate communion in just a minute and remind ourselves that God has moved toward us in his mercy. And may it have the effect to melt some of the frost off of us. Respond to open ourselves up to Him. Reconciliation through forgiveness. This is how the gospel works. Last little bit. Because we're talking about gospel transformation, here's the transformation part, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new, or she is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Two parts to this, there's a new story, let's start there. There's a new story being told about your life, the old has gone. The old way of relating to God is out the door. The old way of trying to earn his favor or ignore him altogether so that you didn't have to worry about him, all of that's gone. Two particular expressions of this, um, that kind of uh, 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 performance-based religion where I'm going to step in and do the things I'm supposed to do, check the boxes I'm supposed to check, uh, show up in the places I'm supposed to show up, read the things I'm supposed to read. Not read the things I'm not supposed to read or look at or whatever it may be. Performance-based religion is gone. When the gospel takes over, what we recognize is there was no performance on my part. When it says in verse 18, all of this is from God, what he means is all of it is from God. All of it. If you grew up around church like me or in a particularly religious situation or home, you got an inner Pharisee that you buried a long time ago. Who keeps trying to come out the grave, and you have to beat him back like a whack-a-mole. When the new, when the old is gone, and this is what we're talking about. We buried that self-righteousness in the grave, but also pleasure-based living. That's also gone because that's the other way that we. Uh, w- one place tries to uh, get God's attention; the other place tries to ignore Him. In that moment right there, we're living for whatever feels good in the moment, and we've had a lot of feel-good moments. <clears throat> what what that, that, that leads us to, and the impact and implications it can have for us, is this kind of living for whatever feels good in this moment. That, that can be, that's done. It's over. It's over. For some of us, it's unrighteousness. For some of us, it's self-righteousness, morality or immorality, whatever it may be. We're not relating to God on the basis of that anymore. We're relating to God on the basis of what he has done for us. The old has gone. That's part of our story, is that the old has gone. The new has come. The new has come. This is a new way of relating, relating to God. That is both, uh, because both, I mean... Righteousness and reconciliation. Those are both relational words. I am now in right standing with God. That's what righteousness means. The true goodness of God has taken over my life. And uh, reconciliation meaning we're we're friends now. We we are apart, we're in this relationship now where once we were separated. The new has come. What would this look like? When this takes over our lives, what, what would this look like? I just want to cheat a little bit and use uh the rest of the chapter um uh, to, to try to uh show you here. Verse fourteen. For the love of I'm not sure this is in the Bible yet, but let me just read it to you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. When, when the um, new comes, we are permeated with, even, and because of that, surrendered to his incredible love. The love of Christ controls us. The things that I used to love, I don't love anymore. Or, or, I don't love as much anymore. And I'm trying to work out of that loving Um, Things that I used to want and desire that were unhealthy and led me to death. Now, I know that Jesus wants to give me life, and so I'm listening to Him, responding to His love, being, if you will, again, melted by this mercy that He is moving toward me in His rightness to me in His wrongness. I'm being melted by it. And so I'm I'm saying, those things I used to want and desire, I'm, I'm trying not to desire or want anymore. I'm being changed by that. I'm surrendered to His love and controlled by it. And then, um, because we are surrendered um, to that love, uh, that frees us to something. Verse 9, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. I grew up, the just confession time, I mentioned a while ago that inner Pharisee, I grew up living to not displease God. Some of you know what that feels like. But that is a far cry from we make it our aim to please Him, Secure, because I've surrendered to His love, I'm secure in that love. And because I'm secure in that love now, I can live to please Him instead of just not displeasing Him. That is a completely different agenda. It changes everything. And then lastly, because I am surrendered to Him... And because I'm secure in that incredible love that he has for me, what I know is my today, listen, my today is safe. And my tomorrow is safe. There are things that may be true and circumstances that may be real and have impact. But I am safe. Why? Verse 4. For while we were still in this tent, talking about our bodies. While we're in this tent, we groan. Anybody? Anybody groan this week? Things ought not be like they are. While we were still in this tent, we groaned, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed. That we would be further clothed. A new set of clothes, So that what is mortal. What is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Grace from start to finish. Who's given us the spirit as the guarantee, as the down payment. What's he saying there? Because God's love has conquered me, I'm surrendered to that and living under his control. Because I am secure under his love and I can live in a way to please him, I today am safe. I'm standing in safety because no matter what happens to me, he is with me and I will forever be with him. There's a glorious future for anyone and everyone who puts Jesus. You get new clothes. This old earth suit gets a whole new makeover. The new has come. There's also a new sight that comes as a result of that. Look at verse 16. We'll try to cover this quickly here. Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we him thus no longer. Meaning, meaning what? Our typical way of relating to people, that gets transformed. The old is gone. The new has come. How do we typically relate to people? By what they look like, by what they own, by what their status is as society, uh, by the sin that they have or the struggle that they have, by their um, state mentally or relationally or physically or otherwise, uh, by their situation. Uh, By their status, whatever it may be. This is all part of how we evaluate and measure. And Paul says, we used to measure people like that. We used to take account of people like that. We used to look at people like that. We don't look at them like that any longer. Why? Because the two things that are true about every single person. God, give us eyes to see this. The two things that are true about every single person is that they have profound and eternal dignity. Each of them. Is created in God's image. They may not look like you. They may not vote like you. They may not think like you. They may not sing like you. They may not um, sin like you or in the ways that you approve of. But every one of them is made in God's image. And, and, every single person that we encounter is desperate, desperately in need of God's saving power in them. Those things are equally and simultaneously, concurrently true. Dignity before God and in a desperate need of His saving love. Church family, there is not a person that you will encounter this week that that is not true of. Every single one of them. I just want to um, put, put a little story around this to try to wrap it up here. In in verse 20, he says, uh, because of this, we are ambassadors for Christ's sake, meaning we're sent out with authority to do what he says to do. In Acts chapter 8, starting about verse 26, Philip is one of the early deacons of the church. And uh, he's been kicked out of Jerusalem Because there's been persecution that broke out And he's up in Samaria The place where nobody really actually wants to go And uh, uh, he, he's there ministering And uh, the spirit says to him Hey I need you to go down to this place So he goes and sits he's like okay what's up And there comes a chariot riding by With an Ethiopian An Ethiopian eunuch An Ethiopian eunuch Who was in the court of Candace the queen the spirit's like hey That's your guy That's my guy So he rolls up on him. Listen to me. Philip is a nice Jewish boy. The Ethiopian eunuch is none of those things. He looks different than him. His skin is a different color. Um, His religious background is far different. His status in life as a eunuch would actually exclude him from the very place where Philip has grown up worshiping. And he's working uh, for a government, um, and Philip is not. Okay, like this is a completely... Different strata of, of existence here. And yet the Spirit says, Go up to the Ethiopian. And Philip, Philip rolls up on him. He's like, Hey, what's going on? The guy's reading Isaiah. And he asks a question Philip, Hey, do you understand what you're uh, your reading? He's like, How am I going to understand unless somebody explains it to him? Philip's like, Me? I'll, I'll do it. I'll explain. Scripture says, starting from that place, he explained to him how Jesus was the Messiah. Didn't take very long. That story unfolded. The new came. Old was gone. New came in the Ethiopian eunuch's life. And he paused the chair, like hit, hit the brakes on the chair. Come down. I see some water right there. I think I should be baptized, like right this second. Because Philip had new sight, the Ethiopian eunuch had a new story. And that's going to be true of people in our lives too. Because we refuse to regard them according to the flesh. We see their dignity and we see their desperation. We're willing to step in and tell them the news of Jesus and what he has done on their behalf. He lived perfectly for them, died as perfect sacrifice for them as a substitute. Excuse me, And then brings the message that they can be transformed into right standing with God. That he has moved toward them in his mercy. When we come to communion. To practice exactly that. If God has opened himself up to us. Then we do this to remind ourselves. to, To practice even. Opening ourselves up. In Christ, because what He has done, He is opening Himself up to you. May His mercy melt us today to remind us, to remind us of what He's done. May that secure you in His love. We're going to take communion and... um, physically do physically remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us so put your stuff up if you need to do so for free and I, I want you to take just a moment Re- ready yourself for this because when we talk about a new story we want you to experience this fresh when we talk about God giving us new sight we want you to see others yes and indeed yourself the way that God sees you. Please take a moment, bow your head. If you've got business to do with the Lord, this would be that moment to do so. Deacons who are going to be serving us, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and come forward. The rest of you, though, you just press pause here. Hear the words of Paul in the scriptures. The old is gone, the new has come. Father, we come to the table to remind ourselves of what's true, the, the building block of our entire existence as a church. So I pray over all of my brothers and sisters here, those who gathered with us, as we remind ourselves of what you have done for us, that you became sin for us, in order that we might come the righteousness of God in Jesus. As we remind ourselves of this, I ask you that it would be really fresh. give this scene and are happy to do so.